Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the MyW Sports Sports Sunday. I'm Kyle Westcott. Luis Sanchez and Eric Ayala will be with us uh, pretty shortly. Uh, just going to get started today because uh, I'm having a little bit of te- technical difficulties on, on our end. Um, but we're going to give you all the, the best sports news in women's sports this past week. Uh, we're going to start off, we're going to talk a lot about uh, both the NWHL and the CWHL uh, a lot of new chatter coming out of the NWHL this week, and we'll uh, discuss that more in depth later on. Uh, NWSL has a big news uh, this week that, that came out, and uh, the WNBA had free agency uh, this week to get started, and a couple of big names already in the first couple of days moving, uh, moving teams, and uh, we'll talk more about that later on too. Uh, fun fact of the week. Uh, Angela James, arguably one of the greatest Canadian hockey players never to play in the Olympics, was the first woman, along with Angela Ruggiero, to be inducted into the Hockey Hall of Fame. The Angela James Bowl in the CWHL was first introduced in the 07-08 season and is given to the highest point scorer in the league. EA, are you with us yet? All right, we will keep on rolling. In uh, this past week, we had uh, we still have some games going on um, in the NWHL. Uh, we'll talk more about the the news in the NWHL uh, later on when when we do hear from Erica, who had a, a great experience this past weekend. But uh, we'll start with the Boston Pride versus the Connecticut Whale. Um, this weekend, the uh, Connecticut Whale came in as a, a huge underdog, I would say, in this, this matchup, um, but proved to be a, a willing opponent for the, for the Boston Pride, taking an early lead uh, in the, I shouldn't say an early lead, taking the lead in the second period, uh, two to one off of a Michaela Long goal. Um, first period action was back and forth. Haley Skarupa and Alex Carpenter both scoring um, in the period, making it a 1-1 tie after one. But after Long's goal in the second, it was 2-1 to one whale. And there were some question marks here if this was going to be the Pride's first loss of the season and first loss since January 3rd of 2016. But like the Pride do, the Pride come through with four goals in the third, 
uh, getting goals from from Bellamy, from Duggan, from Decker, and uh, a second one from Duggan later on as well. Making the final score, Boston Pride 5, Connecticut Whale 2, and extending the win streak for the Pride to 23 consecutive games. And I'll tell you, I, I don't see anybody right now knocking off the Pride if this were going to be a uh, regular setup like we saw last year where the teams go into the playoffs and play um, a best two out of three series because I just think this pride team is too dominant and has so much going for them, both offensively with all of the goal scoring that they have as well as as well as well the uh, goaltending in Brittany Ott. She has just been unbelievable for the pride uh, this season. Uh, moving on. Also, just a reminder, uh, next weekend, next Sunday, the 12th, uh, the All-Star Game will be played in Pittsburgh, and we'll have a a great lineup there um, with players being selected from from all the four teams um, and being selected onto either Kelly Stedman team's team or uh, Amanda Kessel's team. Uh, That's next Sunday in Pittsburgh. Just checking in to see if EA is on because she did have a, a great uh, game this past weekend that she was able to be a part of, and I would love to hear uh, her thoughts on that. EA, are you on? Okay. I think what we'll do is we will hang on to that one because um, I, I would like to hear her side of the story on that one. Uh, because she was actually able to be on the, the broadcast itself. Um, so we'll move on to CWHL action. Uh, CWHL this weekend had uh, games both Saturday and Sunday. Two games still pl- be played today. Uh, but the Saturday action had uh, the Montreal Can- Lace Canadiens defeating the Toronto Furies 2 to nothing. Um, this was a a game that, that Toronto really needed as this was their, this weekend is their last set of games. Um, And unfortunately they lost yesterday two to nothing to Lace Canadiens with Lace Canadiens getting goal from Marie-Philippe Poulin uh, with an early one to nothing lead. And uh, Labonte uh, in this matchup was just dynamite. Um, stopping Toronto and shutting down Toronto completely. Uh, Kessler did a great job in net. We've talked a lot about the Montreal Lays Canadiens and, and their goal scoring. Um, and, and Christine Kessler did an amazing job stopping them uh, as well, stopping 27 out of 28 shots. But an empty netter late in the third uh, turned this from a one nothing into a 2 nothing game for Lays Canadiens. And I think I hear somebody. Yes, Lou, hey, is that Kyle. You? Oh, hey, hey Kyle. There we go. Yeah, sorry, I had a connection issue, uh, but I, I caught the back end of your CWHL uh, run through. How awesome, you doing? Awesome. Good, good. <laughs> How about you? I can't complain. You know, it, it was a, another good weekend of hockey. Uh, I was um, at the Riveters game per usual, but actually got to do some color commentating, which was interesting. That was fun. So why don't we flip back to that? Because uh, I right. held off on that game because I wanted to hear from you and, and your sure. experience for being able to color commentate. 
Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it, it moves fast at the game, and, and it's different when you're watching, and you can kind of react and respond and tweet, but when there's a microphone in front of you, you know, it's a little bit different. But, uh, so we we go into this game, um, obviously hearing the news of the NWHL shortened season, and, and we'll get into that a little, but the reason that's particularly interesting for this matchup is now we're going by win percentage um, and not just the points, or excuse me, points percentage, and not just the, the raw points. So both of these teams vying for that second um, place spot really wanted to get a regulation win in order to keep that points percentage in a good place. So it's the Buffalo Buttes hosted by the New York Riveters at the Barnabas Health Hockey House. And the Riveters got off to a great start. They get uh, two early goals uh, to make it uh, 2 nothing in in um, at the end of the the first period, uh, so those goals came from um, Janine Weber and Alexa Grushow, both primary assists coming from Amanda Kessel. So she continues to be an offensive threat, drawing the defense to her and then dishing off to her teammates. We go into the second period though, and. Tatiana Rafter, she she remains hot. She had that hat trick in Connecticut, and she gets the third goal early in the second period. However, just as, as we usually see with the Buffalo Buttes, they get two immediately. We had three goals in the first three minutes in the second period. Those goals were by Cheyenne D'Arcangelo and Corinne Bowie, really dangerous uh, pairing there, and obviously individually in their own right. So the Buffalo Buttes respond right away in the second period, and it's 3-2, and that's how we would leave things in Newark. It, and I think we talked about this before, EA. Once we, once Kessel was, was coming back, when, when she was out for a while, you know, we, we thought she would be the offensive spark for the Riveters. And, and as you said, she has been just that, whether she's scoring or whether she's on the assist, whether she's drawing the defense towards her, giving the opportunity for other players to score. Um, she's really been a spark plug for the Riveters in the second half of the season. Um, and, and what my question to you would be is what we saw early in the season was players like uh, Russo and and. Uh, Mie Dench mm-hmm. were such huge parts in the first half of the season, but they've kind of tailed off here in the second half of the season. Do you think that that's just um, just because Kessel has picked up a little bit more of the offensive slack, or do you think that's just a little bit of a lull and we're going to see them really come back in the in the end of the season here? You know, that's a good question. I don't think you can say it's all due to Kessel's return because Mia Dench in particular and Rebecca Russo, we, we kind of saw them um, maybe kind of level out so far uh, before Kessel returned because she's only been back. Uh, this is only her second week um, back. So I don't think we can, um, can, can fully attribute it just to Amanda Kessel. I think what Mie Dench and Rebecca Russo do really well is that they create opportunities. They're very ferocious on the ice. Um, I kind of liken them to a Kelly Babstock uh, type approach who she's aggressive and she, she uh, has pretty much two gears, Kelly Babstock, in my opinion, you know, she's either going or she's not, you know, and if she's not, that's because there's, there's a, you know, it's a dead play. <laughs> uh, she's always moving. And I see that in Mia Dench a lot. I see Rebecca Russo. I think she's obviously with the assist that she's been put up. She puts up, she has a little bit more um, of a playmaker mentality, but both of those players are able to create and not necessarily operate in a system. Um, 
and, 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 you know, they can do that. They have that flexibility. I think what you're seeing with New York is that they're really trying to get back into systems now that they have some of their players like Courtney Burke returning from injury, obviously Amanda Kessel uh, with, um, Morgan Fritz Ward leaving, and now they even things out with Lauren Wash. I think they're trying to get into a system that's going to work and control the pace of the game. At least that's what I really saw from the Riveters uh, last night. And I think that benefits players like Janine Weber. We've seen her really be able to make some things happen. Courtney Burke and Madison Packer being able to connect, excuse me, on the power play. So I think that's what you're seeing. And I think it'll be interesting to see how Rebecca Russo and Mia Denture are able to respond now with the, the players that they're, that they have on their line. And I also, let's just look ahead to the, their next game. I mean, next week they have the, the all-star game, but the week after that um, they take on the Connecticut whale. Um, like you said, with the points, points being now a percentage of games played, how big of a game is that game heading into what, what now will be a shortened playoff as well? Yeah, so the thing about the Connecticut Whale, and we saw this a little bit in the next game that we'll talk about, um, is that they are an offensive threat. They are absolutely an offensive threat. So, and we see now that the Riveters, they, can, they have offensive firepower as well. So it's going to be important. And another thing that I think the Riveters worked on very well last night is playing team defense, controlling the puck in the neutral zone, and really disrupting the other team so that they don't get comfortable in their own offensive zone. I think we saw the Riveters do that against the Buffalo Buttes, and they're really going to have to do that against the Connecticut Whale. They are an offensive team. We know that they can rack up points. They've done it against Buffalo, five or so goals um, against Buffalo. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. You know, um, we know that they can score. So it's just a matter of New York remaining disciplined because as of right now, we see that the Connecticut whale is having difficulty on defense and playing that team defense that I was talking about. And so if the Riveters continue to work on that and make it a priority, I think they'll be able to edge out the whale. Definitely. And, and again, that, that would help them hang on to that number two spot heading into the playoffs. And, yep. and that would be a huge thing for the Riveters, uh, hopefully to, to get to that championship game uh, one way or the other, whoever they end up playing. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, I think I think we have another member joining us right now. Lou, are you there? <laughs> I think so. I believe I'm in finally. Yay, there we got is. him. <laughs> <laughs> How you doing? Of, wait, uh, so, yeah, go ahead. How you doing? Oh, I'm I'm phenomenal. I'm, I got to hear EA on her broadcasting debut. <laughs> Right. Um, got to see the pride come back to to defeat the whale. I, I'm I'm in good spirits. I had a great weekend, you know. I'm 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 doing Excellent. well. And and were you uh, were you eating some beans earlier in the week too? Is that what I heard? <laughs> Was I eating some beans out of no, a bean pot? Cereal. Oh 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 the bean <laughs> pot. So oh all right. So Even I, I got that there, set up, Lou. Come on. Uh, yeah, I was like, beans? Where'd the beans come from? Um, <laughs> all right, so, so here's the deal about the bean pot is, like, I'm I'm a little concerned, and not just for BC because um, BC had a really close game this, this weekend. And, we, we, you know, we do trap games usually in between tournaments. You know, when 
you get you overlook your opponent, and we saw that um, on Friday night with with not only BC but even Northeastern. Northeastern was taken to overtime as well, I believe, against Providence. So both teams kind of going into the bean pot a little, you know, a little overlooking their opponents this weekend. That that might have cost them in the pairwise rankings uh, coming up later on, uh, later on in the season. We'll see what happens, but you you can look forward to that on the bracketology this week. Um, but yeah, I don't know, Kyle. I think this bean pot's going to be a, a, a pretty close game. What do you think? I think so too. I mean, I, anytime you put together the the talent that you have um, from any of the four teams, I mean, this this was a great bean pot because I think more more so this year than some years in the past. They're so equal and they're so the the parity is there. And and yes, BC is is the the best team out of that bunch. But but even what we saw last week or this past week. Any team can play with any team out of these four, and that that's an awesome thing to be able to see. Well, yeah, and I think I think you hit it right on the head. We we saw UConn, which a lot of people would think is just a program that BC shouldn't be tying with, but they're they're you know they came in five hundred. You see a team like Merrimack, only in their second season, they have quality wins on the year. Um, UNH last night had a, had a great game against Vermont, and that series has been really back and forth. We saw Vermont take BC into an overtime game. So, and, and you mentioned it that not that not only in Hockey East but all across, we saw Harvard. Um, tie i think clarkson on uh last night so saturday night we saw them tie so there's a, not only in the hockey east and the eastern coast but but we see it all over college hockey right now that these teams have gotten better competing with the national powerhouses that we're used to definitely and and it's just going to roll better players into the nwhl and cwhl Absolutely. and and yeah. that's what we saw this year with the the rookie class that we've had this year and and i'm sure that next year is going to be even better for both leagues yeah, I think so. That's exactly what I was thinking about as as Lou was talking. Um, you know, and, and again, we'll get into some more NWHL announcements. But even uh, a player like Haley Skarupa, so now she got in her first game, if I'm not mistaken, and I don't think I am, uh, she scored a hat trick. And then we saw her score another hat trick. And uh, she really got things going again for the Connecticut Whale as they took the lead. Um, unfortunately, they didn't keep it. But they took a lead against uh, the very strong Boston Pride team um, just yesterday. Yeah, yeah, Absolutely. I'll jump on that one. Sorry, go ahead. Oh, sorry, go ahead, Kyle. I was just going to say, yeah, I mean, that's exactly the case is you had young players, um, you know, Still, as as we were just talking about uh, Russo and Dench and, and their input at the beginning of the season, you still have these other rookies that are still performing and, and players like Skrupa and Carpenter are still scoring and still being such a huge part of this th- this offense, even late in the season for the NWHL. Well, yeah, and to add to that point as well, Kyle, I mean, you think about these, especially players like Kirk Carpenter and, and Skrupa, they played up until the last game of the season. You know, and their their schedule was rigorous last year. They went forty and one, um, and and now they're towards the latter half of this year, um, and they're still playing quality hockey. And that's you know, as EA mentioned, we'll get into into the rest and and, and the NWHL's announcement. But I think it's 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 great to see that these players still have a lot in them. And like in that first period of that Pride and, and Whale game, you saw uh, Carpenter and Skrupa exchange goals in that first period, and I thought that was really cool. You know, obviously being a BC guy, but. Um, just to see that these young players have made a name for themselves on this professional level is, is just it's pretty awesome. And, and like you talk about the growth and the new players coming up, especially next year with the national team players uh, not being in the league, I think it's going to be really interesting to get these names out there and talk about players who uh, who aren't the national team players. 
and, and speaking of rookies and continuing on that, that idea of rookies, uh, then we also see just how difficult it is for rookies to come into a professional league and, and perform and come together as a team. And we see that in the Boston Blades. And unfortunately, mm. yesterday, the, the Boston Blades had to face the Calgary Inferno, uh, mm-hmm. who are you know, a, a great team and leading the CWHL right now. And, and it's, it's not as easy as it looks as some of these uh, other players have made it look, if we, as we've just talked about. And they end up losing 9-2 to two in a game that was just loaded with infernal goals and, and great play from the Calgary uh, side. Uh, another great, another great game in net for uh, Delaney Bryan as well. Yeah. And Kyle, we've talked at length this year about the goaltenders in Calgary. And I don't think we've given a lot of, I mean, I think we have, but I, I don't think that the media has given a lot of love to Delaney Bryan last year. I think, you know, yeah, you have a star-studded trio of goaltenders, but Delaney Bryan she doesn't really get a lot of credit for what she does this year. Either. It, and it's difficult. I mean, when you have when you have uh, Mashmeyer, who was a very highly touted uh, rookie coming to to the Inferno, when you pick up Genevieve Lacasse, who was a great goaltender already in the CWHL, you know, obviously it's tough to talk about all three at the same time, but. But you're absolutely right. I think that people have, have forgotten a little bit about Delaney Bryan, but she comes into games and she still proves why, you know, she won the Clarkson Cup last year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, you know, unfortunately, I haven't been able to see Bryan in action too. Well, actually at all. I've seen the Inferno, but not Bryan. Um, but I, I think we talked about this in the beginning of the season, just thinking about what was going to happen with now three amazing um goaltenders um, in net for uh, or goalkeepers in net for the Inferno and um, you know I'm, I'm glad to see that Delaney Bryant just like she did all the way to the run-up to the Clarkson Cup last season is able to still maintain um, you know uh, the the what we expect I should say from the Calgary Inferno because you know sometimes and I think we we see this with what what has happened in the NW for certain teams, I'm thinking mostly, unfortunately, the Connecticut Whale, that you're not really sure what you're going to get either from the goalie in net or, uh, quite honestly, sometimes um, thinking about what's happening with Brianne McLaughlin and Shanae Lundberg to some extent, uh, what's going to happen in front of a goalie um, in net. Um, so it's, it's good to see that, that Brian is able to maintain that standard and, and to show us, again, why she is a Clarkson Cup champion. Yeah, absolutely, and I think that's a that's a great point. EA is you know when she when she's out there on the ice, she reminds you that hey, I'm I'm a champion. You know, I'm I'm the person that got us there in that last year, and I think that's going to be great. And and the experience there going into the playoffs this year, we know Calgary and Montreal are the top two seeds. They're going to battle it out um, later this month for that opportunity to to clinch the number one seed. But um, but but again, we figure out the bottom two are going to be Brampton and Toronto. Who do you guys think are, like, the best matchups? Obviously, we might see Montreal and Calgary, but for that first round, will it be, you know, a Brampton upset? Can we see a Furies pull off an upset? Well, I mean, I think because Toronto doesn't have any games left, um, other than after today, I mean, um, they still have a game with uh, Lace Canadians today, uh, but Brampton gets uh, Boston in a couple of weeks. 
And I, I think Brampton's going to take that, that third spot uh, to finish out here. And so what you have then is uh, Toronto taking on the Inferno. And I, I well, <laughs> sorry, let me back up. I also think the Inferno will hang on to that first seed. I don't want to jump too far in, in front there, but, but I do think that they will hang on to that first seed. And so you'd have the Inferno versus the Furies. And I just don't see the Furies keeping up with the Inferno. And I think that when you look at the two, three, then you'd have Lace Canadians versus the Thunder. And I just think that Lace Canadians offense is better than the Brampton's offense. And we talked a lot early in the season about Brampton needs their offense to be, to be what drives them. And I just think that Lace Canadians will be able to out shoot them. So for me, I think we're going to have a one versus two Clarkson cup between the Inferno and, and Lace Canadians. Okay. And how about you? Do you have a prediction? Yeah, I was just going to say it's it's looking that way. Um, You know, I, again, I I don't have the benefit of of being able to see as many CWHL games just because I'm usually at NW games. But um, I think that we're, I, I just think that the, the top two teams are in first and second place. I guess the question is if we, if and when we get there, um, what is that? final going to look like. Um, I think we had a lot of expectations for last season that didn't quite pan out. Um, so was that an outlier? Or are we going to see another blowout? I guess, you know, I, I would uh, jump ahead a little bit and, and think about what kind of um, game are we going to see? And then again, going off of the goalies, who do we see start that game um, for the Inferno? Yeah, it's going to be an interesting, that's actually a really great question. As they progress throughout the playoffs, get a start. You know, does Delaney start that first game of the playoffs, and then right. uh, Mashmeyer the second, and then if they make it to the Clarkson Cup final, you got Dana Cass in the back. I mean, that's just a couple to say, but you know, that's yeah. it's gonna be really interesting to see how Calgary uh, plays that. Um, so that's a really great point, yeah. What yeah, a good. what a hard problem to have. Yeah, I was just gonna say that exactly. Such what a tough problem. You know? Yeah. Yeah. Whoa. All right. So. We also have the uh, the CWHL in Toronto. Um, and you can also catch the Clarkson Cup playoffs that will be in Ottawa. Uh, the Ottawa Senators par- partnering with the CWHL as they have for the past couple of years to host the Clarkson Cup playoffs. So stay uh, stay tuned for that stuff. We always have our CWHL weekend wrap-up on Monday, so look out for that on MyWSports.com, as well as uh, the recap for NWHL games as well on Monday. Um, so looking forward to that here on MyWSports.com. Anything else before we move on to some quick college hockey? Or oh, I think we got, we got through the college hockey, right? I think we... Uh, Kyle, I think you have a little something you want to talk about, though. I see, I see on our rundown. <laughs> <laughs> well, I just want to mention uh, the Merrimack Warriors had their senior day on Friday against UMaine and defeated the Black Bears seven to two, which is the most goals scored in the program's young history. So, congratulations to the Warriors for for not finishing out the season but ending the season close here um, on a high note. Yeah, just a couple more weeks before um, conference tournaments start and, you know, about a month away from NCAA tournaments. So I, I, I know mm-hmm. I'm pretty excited about it because there's a there's a certain team that I'm rooting for. But how about you guys? Any teams that's sticking out uh, in college hockey? I mean, for me, I think it still comes down to who, who comes out of that uh, WCHA and whether it's um, mm-hmm. whether it's Minnesota or Wisconsin who's going to be the team left standing at the end. 
Yeah, and I, I defer to you both on that. I think um, I think there's been a little more parity from, from just the staff that I've been seeing in the standings uh, this season, which is exciting. Um, but I think you still have kind of your usual suspects that are floating towards the top. Um, and so I think either way, we're going to get some good hockey. There have been some, uh, as Bobby J might say, some beautiful goals, some beautiful, beautiful goals in the NCAA this season. Um, so I think it'll make for a good tournament. Yeah, I'm excited. It's going to be it's going to be real fun. I think conference tournaments are going to tell a lot. I, I you know it's going to be a tough road for Boston College. I think it's going to be a tough cold, uh, road for Wisconsin uh, in the in the WCHA and, and even Clarkson. Uh, every conference tournament, you know, even it, it, you look at the the Robert Morris and the Syracuses of the world, they can they can win too. So I, I think there's a lot to look forward to in this upcoming tournament. I, I think it starts with the conference tournament, so I'm really excited for that. Uh, and as always, the Bean Pot um, is, is a start here in the Northeast for for conference ter- or tournaments. I should say. By the way, BC four time regular season champs in hockey's play. It hasn't been done since uh, UNH back in o two to o five. So um, shout out to BC. So we're giving following the bean pot. I know it usually Tuesday, but just because the last games are on on today, we'll make sure that we get you uh, all. The um, all right, let's move on to some basketball. Other things here, Kyle. Um, why don't you take over on the first storyline? Sure. Uh, just this this uh, past week on Friday night, Tara Vandeveer got her 1,000th win as a head coach, and and now only three. Pl- uh, coaches in Division One have 1,000 wins with Pat Summit uh, and Mike Shashevsky from Duke. So congratulations to Tara Vandeveer for her 1,000th win. That's some company That's a, she's you, keeping. You think? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I mean, there's still plenty of time for her to 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 add to that total as well. I don't think she. I don't think she's given her press conference. I don't think she's thinking about retiring anytime soon. It didn't sound like it. I mean, it sounds like right, like she's looking right. for that number one spot. <laughs> she wants the most all time. Yeah. Hey, go get it, girl. That's right. Absolutely. <laughs> um, all right. So, so more basketball news, and I, know, I just gotta say this: Why the heck is the media not all about the You know, I think we have our thoughts. I think people have said a bunch. UConn's on going for 97 straight wins today, um, most all-time in college basketball. And as they approach 100, you don't see or hear anything anywhere. You know, it's hard to say. I get, you know, UConn. This is this is the this is the rule, not the exception. Um, to flip that phrase on its head, um, and maybe that's a part of what it is. I'm not sure. Maybe people are waiting to, to get to that 99th win in order to hype up what could be 100 when it comes um, to UConn playing the University of South Carolina. I'm not sure. But I think also we have to look at, if we're looking at the AP Top 25, uh, we look at teams like Baylor, Maryland, and Mississippi State who have one loss. Um, and in some ways, maybe talking about these other teams um, is, 
you know, it, maybe it's a little more to analyze, uh, which essentially is what a lot of sports personalities do. Uh, you know, Connecticut, it's pretty straightforward. We know what they've got, 20-0 and record, uh, consecutively coming in uh, at the top. Um, but maybe maybe we're just seeing that people want to talk about other teams. I don't want to say that they're necessarily tired of UConn, but, you know, maybe they want to see a different slant on the story. And so, figuring out which one of those teams is best poised to meet them in the tournament um, and give them some trouble. Maybe, maybe that's what we're seeing. Yeah. I mean, I don't want to point any fingers here, but um, I think that there's a a broadcasting studio in Connecticut uh, that could be (laughs) hyping this up a little bit more um, because I, I, I think that this is amazing. This is something that has never been done. This is something that is, not only historic in, in the women's game, but historic period. And you have a team that lost three, three great players last year, and they still continue to win. They still continue to go out after day. They played some of the best of the best to start this season. Only the Florida State game has even been close. So I don't understand how this isn't a news topic every time they play should be you know oh the game is on tonight watch the game tonight oh the game was the UConn won by this this is what the score was here's the highlights of last night's game that should be the the number one story until they lose in my opinion because I I don't care what else is happening with the Knicks I don't care what's happening (laughs) with other teams this is a bigger deal this is more historic than any of those other games yeah, and so I guess I just want to go back to, you know, my hypothesis a little bit is that, um, you know, but is it necessarily bad for women's college basketball that people aren't talking about UConn? Um, you know, I, I don't disagree. The, the feat in and of itself is historic, and we heard all about Golden State until they lost. Right. I don't even watch the NBA and I know that storyline. So I, I hear what you're saying. um, But also in the context of women's college basketball, I I guess my question is, and I don't know, I I haven't formed my own opinion on this. um, Is it necessarily bad for the game that people aren't talking about UConn? Just like we would ask UConn, us being the media, generally speaking, obviously uh, the media would ask UConn if they're, if the way that they win and with the, the, the point differential in which they are able to beat teams, was that bad for the game? Same question, you know, is, is it okay? Is it even good for the game that maybe UConn isn't front and center? Well, I'll jump in here. And I think the issue here, and I'll I'll try to word it very carefully is if, if they're not showing UConn, they're not showing anybody else. And Mm. that's the issue. If, if, if UConn's not on the TV, if, if you're not talking about UConn in their streak, then what other women's basketball teams are you talking about? And, and like, let's say at that studio down in Bristol, Connecticut, or let's say, at, you know, at Fox Sports, um, you don't really hear about Mississippi State. I mean, that Mississippi State-South Carolina game, EA, was probably yeah. one of the best games I saw all year long. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And, and I got to see Florida State up in person recently, and they lost to UConn. Uh, it was the closest, as, as Kyle mentioned, it was the closest game um, for UConn all season. Florida State, 
is good. I think that's where he was going with that. I think so. Um, <laughs> there was an ellipse there. Yeah. Oh, sorry. Um, so yeah. So Florida State has all the pieces to 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 beat UConn. Um, I I really I truly believe that after watching them in person um, this past Thursday against BC, um, I really think that they're a dangerous team and they're not getting love. So so when we're talking about all these other teams. Like, when we're talking about South Carolina, it's like, oh, well, they're the next team on the list to play UConn. It's like when we talked about Maryland and Baylor, we was like, oh, well, that's the next team to knock off UConn. So if they don't, do we stop talking about it because UConn is just, you know, demolishing opponents? No, because I, I, I think that the day is coming soon, in my opinion, because when we look at the, the game against South Carolina, maybe UConn can win that game. But, but what I really worry about for UConn is getting into the tournament and having to play six games to win the national yeah. title again. And some of those coming two days apart, and they are very difficult to win. Let's say that they go up against Mississippi State on a Friday and then on Sunday have to play uh, South Carolina again. That's going to be difficult to go from one to the other two days apart. And and I think that that's where we're going to really find out just how good this UConn team is. Yeah. Yeah, I think those are excellent points. And I think especially the point about, well, if, if they're not giving UConn love, then nobody gets love. So, you know, I, that, that is still a challenge. That's still an issue. And, and I must admit that, you know, I'm very – the media that I select – is talking about other teams, not just UConn. Um, I mean, another another great storyline um, that is likely being underreported is Kelsey Plum and yeah. her yeah. her rise yeah. to the history books. That's another amazing feat. I mean, you look at who she's caught up to, and who's at the top of of, of that list. These are if I, listen, growing up playing basketball, some of the women that Kelsey Plum is now in conversation with are women that you know I watched as the WNBA was getting started and, and as I started understanding more about college basketball. And that's another storyline we're not really hearing too much about. And, and yeah, that could be another true. team, and that could be another team that's going to give UConn a yeah. problem when you look at not only Plum. But how about Ozahor, who had 30 rebounds in a game earlier this year? Is there anybody on UConn that's going to be able to out-rebound her? Mm. I think what Lou was going to say there was, yes, Natalie Butler does have an opportunity <laughs> to out-rebound her because Natalie Butler is a great player, and I understand that, Lou. But uh, I, I think it's going to be yeah. difficult when it comes playoff time. Okay, that's fair. <laughs> I, I, that's fair. That's, I can't. I can't argue that point. But hey, we're talking about basketball, right? Some great college action. Stay tuned for all that. Hey, watch UConn later on tonight or this afternoon. They're playing right. to make that streak 97. But a lot of great basketball going on. You talked about underreporting. One of the biggest trades in WNBA history happened. Elena Deladon's going to the Mystics. Yeah. So, you know, there was a lot of conversation going into first restricted free agency, which uh, EDD was a part of the restricted free agency pool. And then, of course, once free agency started and, you know, I think um, hmm, there was a lot of conversation prior to that about uh, Elena Delazon wanting to move um, from Chicago. And I think some of the headlines and some of what at least I heard and read that Elena actually said, they didn't quite match up. So I just want to put that out there. I don't know if anyone else noted that. Uh, I think there was a strong slant 
um, that didn't necessarily match um, at least what I, again, heard and read, quoted from EZD herself. But anyway, regardless of that, um, we do see that Elena has moved on from Chicago, and she's going to Washington. So now the Washington Mystics, though, sends Steffi Dalton out to Chicago. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think that's really interesting on both sides. So a lot of people focusing on EZD. But what Stephanie Dalton was for Washington, not only on the court, but I think just her personality. I mean, that's something that we we were able to get to see, obviously, all three of us as UConn fans, when, whether it was her White House visits or, you know, just her quirkiness. Um, I think for a struggling franchise, you know, they really built around um, Steffi Dalton. And so, you know, now all of a sudden, I don't know, you just get an Olympian and Elena Deladon, like, <laughs> such a such a downgrade uh you know obviously jokingly but i think it's worth also mentioning what steffi meant to washington and what she can be for uh chicago yeah i think that this is a a big trade and i'm questioning what the mystics really get out of it i mean i understand you're picking up a former mvp you're picking up a, a great player um but but as you said to Without Dolson, I don't know that this trade is as good as it could have been, you know, and, and not only that, but, but they did give up a, a number two overall draft mm-hmm. pick coming up right. and also Kalia Copper, who is, is a very good young player as well. Mm-hmm. And so what are you surrounding, and maybe this isn't answered yet, but what are you surrounding Deladon with then with the Mystics? You know, I, what yeah. are they... And maybe we have to wait till the number two draft pick. Maybe we have to wait to see what else happens with um, with other free agent moves. But I don't know that this is a great move for the Mystics. Mm. Yeah, I think this is one of those player moves. You know, this benefits the player more than anybody else, the league, the team. Um, this was a move that she needed to make to get closer to home, you know, and mm. – um, she didn't. She wasn't happy, and I think the WNBA wasn't going to allow another player to sit out like Sylvia Fowles did a couple of years ago with, with Chicago um, before she was traded to Minnesota. So I think I think there's a lot that that like as you said, EA. There's a lot that that you know out there that doesn't really make any sense. Um, the one thing that does make sense is that she wanted to go back closer to home, um, yeah. and I, I can respect right. that. You know, I can yeah. absolutely agree with that move, and I, I appreciate. I applaud the Mystics. Because they kind of gave, like, like to Kyle's point, they gave up a lot for this player, um, yeah. organizationally. So if if they don't surround her, this is more of like, hey, you, you're playing here to draw people in. Um, it's not about winning, and that's I know mm. EDD, and she wants to win. Um, right. So it's going to be on the Mystics now to get some players and some pieces to surround her. Yeah. And, and this is something that we've seen with Zeladon in the past. I mean originally going to Yukon and then going back to Delaware, she did the same thing to stay closer to home. So that part of it, I see that part of it. I understand um, from her end, but like I said, I think she's going to want to win. And so the question is what, what else is the, what else are the mystics going to do to put her in that position? I do like some of their players, but I'm not sure that they're championship caliber today. I think that that last piece is important today. Washington was a very young team, but we saw um, that for, you know, 
towards the end of a, of a short season that the team was able to really get scrappy. And there was a time there when Washington and, and Connecticut were really, you know, trying to make a push for the, in this new playoff format. So I don't want to, again, discredit that. I think that there, you, when you bring in a superstar and, um, you know, LeBron James in his first bout with Cleveland is a perfect example, that doesn't, it's not enough to win when there are four other positions that need to be filled. Um, but with that said, you also have to know that even if you have a superstar that you're going to need people that are going to come and play their role. If you look at what happened with Los Angeles this season, there were players, Elena Beard, who played her role. Um, you know, came in Essence Carson, played her role. And so you don't necessarily need more Dynamo superstars, especially when you're looking at things like salary caps and stuff of that nature, playing time, how you're going to fit people into a system. So I think it's going to be a matter of what we see um, as far as the organization being able to build a culture. And if EDD is a part of that culture now, then getting players that are going to buy into the culture, herself included. Um, and I don't think, I, I, you know, I don't put that on her as, as though that will be an issue. But again, if, if a team is, is being told um, or there's this um, expectation that they're only looking to one player, that's not going to be a championship mindset. Um, and I want to speak a little bit about Los Angeles because there are a few free agents, including Christy Tolliver, um, you know, who uh, we might want to look out for who might be leaving. And I think Essence Carson as well is, is, um, is a free agent. Um, so we might want to look out to see if the Los Angeles Sparks um, make some moves. Yeah, EA, you hit it right on the head. There's a lot of great players that, you know, this year their, their contracts are up. And it's, you know, I was talking uh, to a good friend of mine, and he said he said this is probably one of the biggest free agent uh, periods that the, the W has ever seen. Um, mm -hmm. And it's really interesting to see EDD move to the Mystics. I mean, obviously I've been keeping track of Carolyn Swords um, yes. her whole career, oh. and I'm a big fan of hers. I was sad to see her leave the Liberty. Yeah. Um, but I think she can play a big role on that Storm team. I think that if the Storm use her in a good way, um, like the Liberty did on certain occasions, I think that that team can get that much better. Yeah, and that's a perfect uh, – glad you brought up Carolyn Swords because she's a perfect example of the player that I was just talking about. Not a superstar, but she is an, she makes an impact on her team, whether it's being able to give, you know, other bigs on her team a breather or be able to set up some of, of uh, her players on the point. That's what she's able to do. She's obviously a big body. She's got good size, and she can rebound. She's a great – rebounder and um, for a team like the New York Liberty that kind of struggled to pull things together when you have a stalwart obviously like Tina Charles on the offensive side and then someone like Carolyn Swords that can get you good minutes and get aggressive and give your your team opportunities to either stop offensive threats by getting defensive rebounds um, or vice versa keep the ball um, moving and and get your players some, some other looks. So I think when you have a Seattle Storm team that has a lot of great talent and struggled a little bit to come together, I think someone who can be a rock for that team and help um, maybe um, put Bree Stewart, maybe you don't have to have uh, Stewie be such a versatile player when you have someone who can, again, play her role like Carolyn Swords. Well, exactly. I think that's that's the key right there is I think when you have a Swords uh, 
in the game, you're, you allow uh, Stewart to move outside a little bit more, and it opens up the floor for her just a little bit more. And and think about the addition now of of, of swords with Bird and Lloyd on the on the uh, in the in the backcourt shooting the, the the long ball. Now you've got the the really the two bigs with Stewart and Swords down low, and then a Langhorn who also can can kind of play any position. Um, I, I think the Storm are, are certainly moved in a better direction with this trade. Yeah, and just to add to that point, um, Kyle, what made Carolyn great at BC was guard play. Uh, Jacqueline Toman, Mikel Pico, some of the best guards Boston College has ever seen. Um, and the pick and pop was where Carolyn kind of excelled. Um, so it, it's it's great it's great to see her go with Lloyd um, and um, Lloyd and Bert sorry um, and uh, you know I think I think she's going to be a phenomenal player in that system in in, in Seattle so uh, shout out to Carolyn Sword shout out to all the free agents moving uh, we'll keep you updated here um, on my W Sports but let's move on to some uh, NWSL we had some incredible news a historic announcement in the National Women's Soccer League. Um, EA, you know, when I first got whiff of, like, the NWSL on Twitter putting out, hey, we have a major announcement with the TV network, I think most people put it together. Am am I wrong? (laughs) Uh, You're not wrong there. Uh, You know, it would be hard to imagine that they would announce anything outside of a broadcast deal, um, you know, such as an extension of the contract with Mango, for example, as in the fruit. Yes, as in the fruit. Uh, They are also a sponsor of the National Women's Soccer League. Um, So, you know, um, and, and this Plush, Jeff Plush, the commissioner, has been teasing this for a little bit now. Uh, And so we knew that there was, um, there were, um, you know, murmurs towards the end of last season and even a little bit at the draft um, about a broadcast deal. And this is something that the NWSL, I think, has really been wanting to work on, but wanted to make sure that they did it right um, because Plush has been pushed on this issue for the last several years. Um, and after a, sec- a successful, excuse me, an unprecedented fourth season, I think coming into now uh, season five, this is the time to really latch on to what is now a three-year partnership between the A&E Networks um and the NWSL they are not only committing to a 3 year broadcast deal but they are investors so they own stake uh they are um equity investors in the NWSL and so what we're going to see is we're going to see a Saturday game of the week for the entirety of the season that will be broadcast on the Lifetime channel of ANE Networks also we're going to see the creation of NWSL Media so this is going to be a, a place where uh, we're we're hearing that there will be a mobile app that will be available for Android and Apple. We're hearing that the NWSL media is also going to work to find other broadcast deals because now we we know we have 10 teams in the league and if there's only one game um, a week on on that Saturday, there's still several other other games that we have being played in that week. So so we're looking uh, and NWSL media in partnership with A&E Networks and the league is looking to find other ways of putting those games out as well. Um, it sounded a lot like Christy Rampone was there. And also what we heard leaked by um, the United uh, States Soccer Federation um, is that we will finally get a, a retirement ceremony for the captain, Christy Rampone. 
next month is what we were told. And so for those who follow the U.S. team closely, we know that the She Believes Cup is coming. So that was another thing to put out there. But Chrissy Rampone was on hand and talked about, hey, I've been through three leagues, uh, and I see this as a great thing for the players. Uh, she stated that this kind of a deal shows that the NWSL is in this for the long haul. They really want to gain exposure and, and more eyes on the product, and that's only going to benefit the players. So overall, I think we got a lot of really great things out of the announcement. Yeah, Kyle, you, just your thoughts, your initial thoughts on hearing about it and then um, finding out, you know, that there's there's just more. It's more than just a one-year broadcast deal, but this is an equity, as as EA said. Um, this is an equity state. This is a real partnership between the two. Well, let's just go back, you know, 12 months or so, and and the the questions of, you know, this is year four. This is the unprecedented year four. Can the NWSL make this work for year four? And now to go, you know, 12 months later, and to hear that there's a, a a cable television broadcast deal. That is absolutely unbelievable. That is awesome for the NWSL. Um, it just, it shows that there's some staying power uh, with the NWSL and, and I'm, I'm super psyched to be able to turn on the TV and find, you know, a, a soccer game when I want to see a soccer game. And yes, it's on a, an a E or a lifetime network channel, but at least we can go see it. And I don't care what channel it has to be on for me to see it. If I want to go watch soccer, I'm going to go watch soccer. So I think it's amazing. Yeah. And, and I want to hit on that a little because, uh, you know, I know that offline I shared with, with you fellas that there was conversation on Twitter about whether this was, you know, um, the term alienating to male uh, fans was kind of put out there. And I guess what I'll say is if you want to get a fan, for example, my sister Alexis we talked about Jesse last time. We'll talk about Alexis today. <laughs> she is not a baseball fan. Okay. I can't get her. She lives in Boston. So when I go up there, I'm like, yeah, we'll go to Fenway. She's like, you can go to Fenway. I'm not going. <laughs> so now if, if, if the Metson had this really cool deal where they were partnering uh, with, I, I don't know, Lifetime or some, some, some network that my sister Alexis was really into, I wouldn't show her a, a press conference to get her interested. I would bring her to a game. I would let her see the game on, on the network that they partnered with. That's where I would bring her to. Um, I'd, I'd show her how these players, you know, interact with the fans and how they interact with the media and, and how just open and inviting that they are and how important the new partnership is to being able to sustain that. I wouldn't show someone just in general, just taking it more broadly, I wouldn't show someone a press conference announcing a, a three-year partnership to get them necessarily as a new fan invited, uh, invested, excuse me, into the league. Um, so, you know, I, I, I think that the, the NWSL needs to do what's good for itself in the long term and for its players, because if you don't have a good product on the field and if they don't feel that there's security in this league, then, you know, we're going to see them leave. And we know that there's still issues with field conditions and other things. Maybe this partnership allows them to get more money into that because of what they can bring in from the broadcast deal. And so in, in comparison to Crystal Dunn leaving, Alex Morgan leaving for a time, and Heather O'Reilly leaving not knowing if definitely she will come back, I think this is a really great step. Do you get those players back? Maybe, maybe not. But for the new 
players, for the rookies that were just drafted, just like Christy Rampone said, this is good for the staying power of the NWSL. Yeah, and as a sports fan, if I'm just looking for a game, I'm going to go to the guide, I'm going to flick through the channels, and when I see the green, which means it's a sporting event, I'm going to stop and look. I I don't look to see what channel it's on and go, ooh, it's on Lifetime. I don't watch those movies, so I'm not going to watch this. That's silly. I watch the sporting event because it's a sporting event on television. Right. Yeah, it's like, you know, there's a lot of people who associate, I guess, sports channels with politics. Fox Sports. Um, and choose not to watch it. But, you know, as a kid, I grew up watching the World Series and the playoffs on Fox. So it's like, you know, you don't really think about, oh, I'm not going to watch it because it's on Fox, or I'm not going to watch it because it's on ESPN. Or you're going to, like Kyle said, you see sports, oh, you're interested in the sport, you're going to watch it. Um, And I think this this gives more people more eyes, you know. Like Kyle said, the the sports fan who's just uh, scrolling and finds the channel I think that's what, you know, this also allows to grow the fan base of uh, the NWSL and and soccer all over the country. Yeah, and finally uh, for me is that even even if you were to, you know, contest and, and, uh, I guess, concede really that this is a partnership that slants towards the the female viewership, that doesn't exclude you from then finding a partner that might be more attractive and appealing, even just in a press release uh, to male viewership. So again, you know, I don't think that just because you're focusing on one particular population, if that's the argument that you want to make that this partnership is doing, that doesn't exclude the league from still finding ways to reach out to other fan bases and not just male versus female, but regional fan bases. Okay. Uh, You know, there's not an NWSL, uh, team in every part of the country the midwest is is lacking uh you know we've got the east coast covered and then a few on the west coast and then i guess fc kansas city but who else is in there so again something like this allows you to broaden that you can see where the hot spots are are there more people in the midwest for example watching games you know you pull your analytics and then if you're looking for expansion then now you have the data another point now i will bring up my sister jessica that she mentioned is that we're always hearing that women's sports there's no data people aren't going to watch this uh we we don't have numbers well when you work with a network like any networks when you work with a channel like lifetime who also has broadcast WNBA games in their history this is a network this is a business that knows how to crunch numbers knows how to look at numbers of viewership and make it work. And so if that's coming to the NWSL, that's going to be a good thing. Yeah, EA, to add to that, one of the great things I heard in that press conference was this wasn't just about sports. It's about entertainment and storytelling. Um, and I think that's, that's something they're committed to as a network is telling the story of these athletes, telling the story of the sport. And I think that's going to also bring a unique perspective um, that, that we haven't seen yet. And with the launch of NWSL Media, we'll see more of that as well. So I think that's also a big part of this partnership. Yep, I agree. I agree. And here's hoping that we get a few more for other leagues that, you know, that we cover here, that we'd love to be able to, to click on a channel and see it pop up as green. Yep. Absolutely. All right, so let's move on from our historic announcement to from football to football. Um, <laughs> EA, I know I know you love that one. So we have a new football league, EA, and I want your perspective on this before I get to Kyle. 
Um, the women's world football ga- uh, football games was huge. It, it drew over 4,000 um, individuals to, to, to Orlando um, for this event. We have a new U.S. Women's Football League. We have the IWFL and the WFA. Kyle and I have talked at length about, you know, the amount of teams, the players. Um, with the new league launching, what are your thoughts on the game of football right now? You know, I think it's interesting. Um, it's almost just generally speaking, it seems as though in football, they're almost having the opposite conversation and the opposite, um, I guess, kind of trend as women's hockey is having professionally, that is. So in women's hockey, we hear from players a lot. We really think one league is the answer. Will they or won't they merge? Uh, Will they or won't they survive? Um, And I think you're seeing in football, at least, again, just generally speaking, that maybe a little diversity is good. Uh, We've seen teams, including the New York Sharks, move from one league to another. Um, So that raises questions on, you know, what is the longevity? We talked about the NWSL and and what they're offering to players and to franchises to show that they're in this for for the – for uh, the long haul. And so maybe in, in football, we're seeing, you know, things shake up a little bit so that we can see what rises to the top. And yeah. And I, think the, I think the question then is um, we have, you know, all these leagues now and you see, as EA said, teams that were uh, very stable in one league, even they are switching leagues. You wonder how uh, uh, either we can put them together at the end uh, and have some sort of super bowl or something to that effect, um, or you know, some way of kind of connecting them in some way. This happened with the NFL and the AFL back in the day, and it wasn't until the two decided, okay, our champions and your champions are going to play against each other that it created the grandiose uh, that is the NFL now. And I think that's what we may have to do or may have to see happen with these different football leagues, because right now you just, you're seeing teams going from one to the other. What fits one team may not fit another team. Uh, we may have regionality. Regionality may cause a team to go into this new United States Football League. Um, and, and until we put, find some way to, to kind of meld them all together, I think we're, we're just going to see, I don't want to say a, a mix, but, but just an, an, odd, <laughs> an odd mix of teams in different leagues. And you know, to to that point, Kyle, I think that's that's where I'm stuck on. Is I, there's a part of me that's you know I, I got to cover the IWFO uh, in depth last year, and to see you know how the playoff scenario worked out, and Houston was one of the first teams to jump ship and move to that new league, the Women's uh, uh, Football League. And, and you mentioned it; a lot of teams left the IWFO this year to go to the, the WFA. So it becomes a question of okay, which is the Premier League? Which right now it looks more like the WFA. Um, and then the IWFL and the W, um, the U.S. Women's Football League, they've fallen behind the WFA. Do you see that as well? I think so, but I, but I also I, – I, let me first say I think it's awesome that there are so many teams playing women's football yeah. across the country. I mean we're talking now well over 100 teams playing women's tackle football. Um, and I think that's an amazing thing and that's an awesome thing. 
But for it to sustain, for it to be a long-lasting thing, I think there has to be some sort of one league is going to have to become the league. Um, I don't think that you're going to be able to put all 100 teams into a league. Um, but I, I think there needs to be one team, one league that does rise above the rest. And right now, I think that's the WFA. Okay, and um, EA, you know, when you're thinking about what Kyle mentioned, I think, and I, I felt like, you know, a little bit of deja vu. I think we talked about this before about having the two teams in the leagues, uh, the league champions play each other. Um, mm-hmm. I think we talked about it in, maybe in hockey, but do you see something like that as well that could benefit this? If let's say the Utah Falcons uh, win the IWFL championship and um, let's just say the Boston Renegades win the WFA championship, they play each other in a Super Bowl. Um, do you think that will help? Yeah, I think that's great because it has the opportunity to expand and extend um, the season. And that's something that all women's leagues struggle with a little bit is, um, you know, being able to have enough games to really get teams going. Um, You know, I forget who it was that mentioned that going back to, well, any sport, if if you look at at the um, professional level and we'll just say men's professional level, any team with the exception of football, I suppose, that has um, the opportunity to play 12 games, you wouldn't say that that's a team that has gelled, that has reach their stride or any of that. Um, but, but what you want is, is that is for teams to have more games, to have more exposure to competition. And another thing that we saw in both leagues is that sometimes that, you know, we were seeing shutouts, look at the sharks record from, from 2016. And so if you're able to have more competition, if you're able to have more games and a longer season, I think that's only going to benefit the players and the product on the field, as well as again, the exposure to the game, which will, ultimately benefit. So whether it's a Super Bowl or whether it's maybe uh, the opportunity to do, um, I don't know, like scrimmages or preseason games, I guess, uh, among other leagues that don't necessarily affect your record within the league you're playing in, I think that's going to be good for football. I think eventually, yes, we'll start to see Maybe it's not one league, maybe it is two leagues, I don't know. Um, But I think you'll start to see things kind of even themselves out. But I think for right now, it's only going to help. Again, if there's so many teams um, that want to play and we need three leagues to fill that, um, having that intersectionality between the leagues is going to be great. Absolutely. And um, (laughs) – Kyle, when we finish up the talk about this, um, you know, when you're thinking about coming up the upcoming season and you talk about all these great athletes, there's still trials going on. There's still team, uh, teams trying to find players. So uh, go find your local team and, and join these amazing leagues. A, a lot of great football going on. But, Kyle, just to wrap up here, um, what are you most looking forward to? Because I think for me one of the highlights, you know, so far in 2017 was – I, I tweeted out, hey, I hope this means we can see a, a Boston versus New York in the WFA matchup. And they retweeted us back saying, yeah, that we're, we're, you know, we're down to make that happen. So will we see new <laughs> rivalries renewed here? Um, because I'm really excited about that. Yeah, I, mean, I, I just want to get the season started. I mean, I, I thought we had such an awesome season last year in the WFA. Um, I think the IWFL had some, some amazing moments at the end of the season. And, and we've talked a lot about the playoffs in the IWFL and, and now you have uh, 
you know, as you just mentioned, the New York Sharks coming to the WFA and and playing against the Boston Renegades or the DC Divas, or, or they're going to get to play the Pittsburgh Passion again um, now that both are in the WFA. And I, I just, I'm excited for these teams to get on the field and play and see some of these great athletes, great teams, and and great games happen this year. And any final thoughts, EA? I think you you both got it. It's going to be exciting, um, you know, and again, I'm just really looking to see what the competition does and, and how we're able to spread out the game in a good way um, to get more eyes on the product. Absolutely. All right, so I'm going to run down our quick uh, quick three storylines that we, uh, you know, talked about in Around the Leagues before in the beginning of the show. Um, Twelve UWLX, so United Women's Lacrosse League players, were named to the U.S. rosters for international tournaments in July. Uh, stay tuned for more on that. We're really excited to, to see these phenomenal athletes continue playing not only internationally but in the United Women's Lacrosse League coming up this season. Uh, Pro Fast Pitch, a lot of news coming out this month from uh, the NPS. They had their winter meetings. Um, their schedule came out, some changes to the rules. They're going to adapt the world rules going up um, to, I guess, ahead of the 2020 Olympics. They're going to start uh, working with international rules instead of NCAA rules. And uh, big storylines coming out this week, the Chicago Bandits, defending champs. And we're going to talk a little bit about this before we move on. Defending champs, um, they clean house. They, there's no – the ownership is changed over. They got rid of the GM and head coach, so a lot of changes happening uh, in Chicago, but I want to talk about this, because this is the second team. This is the second championship team that we're seeing um, make some big storylines. We saw Western New York kind of make that move to the North Carolina Courage, um, and now Chicago, they've just, as two-time defending champs, cleaned house. Any any surprises here? Yeah, I mean, that in itself is a huge surprise when you when you are the defending champs, and and so, in a different way, I think that's that's always a always big news, and I I I, I hope them well, but uh, I, I think this could be something that that hurts them going forward in the future. It's it's always you know hard to know when you get an announcement like that. It's such a drastic change, and obviously from a fan's perspective, um, you know fans get attached to people and and especially when you're coming off of a of a victory uh you kind of want to you know everything from your socks to the front office you want to stay the same so you can you can see that success again um so i think it'll be interesting to see how it plays out i think it's always tough news um but perhaps there are things that were in the works already and or um moves that that needed to be made in order to um to move forward and, and not just maintain, but um, excel and exceed. So, so we'll see. I, I mean, I don't know. It's tough, it's tough to know now. Yeah, we'll see exactly uh, as time plays out how these moves will benefit or hurt the Bandits. Um, second year in a row, they've been dealt with some, some difficult changes in the offseason. So we'll see what happens this year as the Bandits have a uh, have new changeover. And we'll also mention that the LPGA season got started uh, last weekend. Brittany Litzacombe, she won the first LPGA championship of the year, putting her in first for the CME Road uh, Race to the Chase Championship. It's her seventh career LPGA tournament victory. Um, that was a great tournament. I actually got to watch a lot of it, and uh, I'm excited for the next one coming up later in February. Um, all right, so let's get right to our discussion. Um, we had news break this past week. 
on Thursday of the NWHL cutting their season short among some other major decisions that will impact uh, the future and longevity of the league. Uh, you know, I have a lot to say about this whole thing, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to turn it over to you two. Um, and then I'll, I'll give my thoughts, but you know, EA, we got to talk um, immediately as, as soon as this was starting, you know, to break, we, we announced the developing story on my W sports. Um, but I guess we were both a little surprised to get the messages we got. Um, so I'll go to you first and then Kyle, I'll get your reaction in a second. Well, I think both of us had been hearing through, through different sources that this was a possibility or, I mean, not a possibility, but that this was indeed what was happening. Um, I think, um, you know, the season being shortened, it makes sense in, in some manner of speaking, just knowing that it would have been a three month, I think what was on the schedule about three, or excuse me, not three months, three weeks. There we go. Um, three weeks that uh, players would have kind of been in limbo until national team players returned from the women's world to then continue the season on into the playoffs. And that's a, a long time to be sitting, um, not dormant, but not competing either. Um, so, so I think there's, there's some of that that makes sense. I guess it's just, again, with the NWHL, the timing of the announcements, um, again, from a fan perspective, we just talked about that with the Chicago Bandits. From a fan perspective, it can be a little bit confusing. Uh, it seems as though um, the league did take a step in the right direction, at least this time, as far as this being a, a conversation that was had with players and not just something that came from the top down. So it, it seems as though there was a little bit of an improvement from how the news of the salary cuts was delivered to the players, as an example. Um, but I don't know. I think there's also a lot of questions that again Lou you and I discussed as far as does this benefit one group of players over the other um, is this kind of conceding to again national team players at the at the cost of players that are not playing with their national team I don't know um, so those are some of the questions that I think a lot of people still have yeah I I mean I I'm not really sure how to feel about it because the CWHL is ending their season um, the 18th and 19th weekend, their their regular season, the 18th and 19th weekend. So they thought ahead of time to, mm-hmm. well, the, the women's world is going to be going on. So let's finish up before that happens. So that way we can, we can finish our product when we should, and we don't have to have an extended break when we're coming back from that break to really only have a couple of games and then the playoffs. Um, So I I think that this is just a matter of the forethought wasn't there to think ahead and say, you know what, this, this is a big thing. We have a ton of players that are going to be affected by this. We should, they should have, in my opinion, had this from the beginning of the year set to end or to have some other plan for, um, for for this women's world coming up, you you can't just take a, as EA said, a, you know, a three week or a month break, and then come back and and expect it to all be the same. And when you think about a break like that, you're still thinking about practice time for the players. So they, there's costs involved with that, costs to to have the rink, to mm-hmm. use the rink, to maybe get their skate skate sharpened again, uh, or whatever it may be. 
um, all these things factor into a money issue that has already been an issue for the NWHL. And, and I, I just think that this was, this was poor planning for the this yeah. schedule, for this schedule. Um, all right. So I should preface this with first, I love the NWHL. Okay. I love everything it stands for, everything it, it was supposed to be. And as a fan, I had this great vision of this league um, that has slowly, as a fan, um, has slowly kind of just taken away my passion for the league. Um, you, Kyle, you hit it right on the head. The poor planning, you know, and not only with this, but with the entire, the, the, the entire thing, you know, it, it, like the money, the, you know, the fact that players now, and again, EA, you mentioned it, you alluded to it. The thing that bothers me the most is I get the national team players are the most recognized. Um, I get that, but there are so many other players in this league that don't play on national teams, and they're going to suffer at the cost of what, 12 players out of 80, 12 players that go, or you know, 15 players that go on their national team, um, and, and the rest of the league, which is a, a clear majority, they're just they they just don't matter. Um, that that's where it impacts me because, and then you impact fans because. I, I see a lot of people in Hillary Knight jerseys. I see a lot of people in Alex Carpenter jerseys. But I also see people wearing RIT jerseys. I see people wearing U of Maine jerseys, um, supporting players that don't play on national teams. And I think that's where it really, it really impacts me as a fan of this league, that there's so much going on and there's so, there, there's so little talk of this league to the fans or, or taking other people into consideration except the front office people at the NWHL. Mm. Yeah, yeah, and and another thing to note is that also in that announcement is that there will be a third season and uh, presumably a fourth season. Um, and so, just putting the facts out there first, what that means is that we also know, or excuse me, again the facts. What we also know is that the national team players, the Olympians, will not be playing in the league. Um, there are no Canadian national team members in the NWHL. So that affects the United States um, and that will affect um, the New York Riveters should they um, bring on Sojun Shin, or I guess maybe they wouldn't for next season because she will be p- uh, participating in the Olympics as, as a, a member of the host nation. So what that means is that, again, going to your point, Lou, um, that the players like Celeste Brown, I heard you mention RIT, uh, Courtney Kunichika, RIT, uh, Anya Badalino, uh, BU, Blake Bolden, BU, uh, Kelly Stedman, and on and on and on, all of those players, and then the players that have been drafted and the players who will have to be found to fill the league, particularly in Boston, those are the players that are going to have to stay in the league while the Olympians are gone. And so a league that has really focused a lot of its marketing strategy around a very small number of individuals and in even uh, and that really being, in my opinion, Megan Duggan, Hillary Knight, and Amanda Kessel, but then also again seems to at times really again, if they're gonna market a, a group, they're marketing the national team as opposed to the league overall, which also has the 
added effect of being a very Boston-focused marketing strategy. How is that going to work if that's been the culture and now that culture is upended for an entire season, a season that presumably is going to be very important because, again, you put the eyes on one product, you're removing that product, and now all of a sudden you have to get a fan base interested in a new product and you haven't necessarily had a lot of balance. So there's a lot of questions. A lot of questions, again, with the timing of how this was announced, why it was announced to Kyle's point, why it wasn't thought of earlier. And now add on top of all of that, this is, this is a league that also announced this season that they were cutting players' salaries. It's just from a marketing perspective, the, 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 the order of this doesn't make sense. It's that there's, I, I don't follow a chronological order. I don't necessarily follow a, a conscious a stream of thought or something that, again, to Kyle's point, shows that there was um, planning, um, or at least not the right planning. So again, I'm with you, Lou. I want to see this league succeed, but if the league's going to succeed, they're going to have to change how they're marketing the league. And I hope that that sticks because again, uh, going back to Anya, she's now the director of the Players Association, stepped up in that role. Um, players like herself, who is a huge fan favorite, players like Ashley Johnston, who, you know, hashtag stretch for all-star game was created for fans that wanted to see her in the all-star game. Um, you're going to have to rely on players like that. But then what happens um, when, when the Olympians come back? Do we forget about what Anya presumably will do and has done for the league when, and I don't want to, I'm, I'm just pulling out names here, but what, but when Brianna Decker comes back, do we forget about how great Kelly Stedman was in her first season once Alex Carpenter comes back? I, I don't know. Yeah. And, and I totally understand the idea of saying, well, we're going to have a, a, a third year. Oh, and we're going to have a fourth year too. But how can you say that? when we already have had to cut player salaries in half just to make season two work, is there, is there some other backing? Is there some other sponsorship that we don't know about? Because I don't, I don't think it's fair to guarantee not only the fans, but the players that you're going to have a season three or season four when you couldn't pay for season two. Exactly. And, and, and you cut season two short. I mean, that's that's yeah. an excellent point, Kyle, and 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 we'll get to another part of this announcement that that kind of ticked me off to the point that that I just really lost it when I first saw it. Um, we were teased at the end of season one that season two would be, you know, a possible expansion. We were teased that season two would we would see a, a you know a growth in in team. That didn't happen. Now to EA's point, we saw player salaries cut. We saw the season cut short. But we also saw the, the, the league, the foundation, and the commissioner of the league all get sued. And that's still something that is in, in you know, there was a motion for dismissal, and that was denied by a judge. So that's still going on as we speak. There's a lot with the league that still, we're still unsure about, and you're going to promise a third season. Not only that, you're going to talk about expansion. Um, wait, hold on. You haven't found owners for the founding four teams yet. So how are you looking into expanding when you still are struggling? To your point, Kyle, you're still struggling now. So this is where, where it really got frustrating for me is you can't do that. That's unfair. As, as you said, it's so unfair, not only for the fans, but for the players, because they don't know what's yeah. going on either. And 
Ian, yeah. we, we heard real, real clearly, there's a lot of people in this league who are really, really close to the league that don't know a lot about the league. Yeah, yeah. And that, again, is something that needs to improve. Um, that is something that Danny Ryland has promised will improve. And I guess, you know, the proof is going to be in the pudding, uh, quite honestly speaking, for the NWHL. And for right now, the NWHL and Danny Ryland are synonymous. For better or worse, good or bad, hell or high water, fair or unfair, that's how it is. If that doesn't change, there, it's going to be a tough road for, for Danny. And it, it could be a tough road for the league. And so I think what I will say about the announcement is, again, having the players have a director of the Players Association is a good step. Having that person happen to be Anya, I think, is a good step. From a fan's perspective, from a media perspective, and from a player's perspective, I get the impression that Anya is someone that people trust. And if she is willing to ride it out and, you know, really navigate these choppy waters, which the league is in, again, for whatever reason that is, we are, we, we're where we're at. And that's, that's, that's just what it is. Um, I think it's going to be interesting to see if the league and Danny Ryland become less synonymous. And I mean that there are a number of ways that that can happen. Uh, there can be more disclosure of, the, the guidance or the the partners that, that Danny has so that there's an understanding that, you know, there are more people involved in decision-making. I think, I don't think it's safe to say that, that that is happening right now. I don't think that's a safe assumption that we can make. I'm not saying that it's not happening, but we just don't know for sure. I think the more minds you bring to an idea, especially more minds that are coming from a player-centric perspective, is going to benefit the league. The players have, they've hung on, um, but, you know, and in that piece that my W put out, talking to the Senator Brent Feldman, we heard from him say, you know, um, the league is really going to have to prove itself. You already know the Olympians are gone. So after the Isabel Cup is raised on March 19th, they're focused on the next phase for them. And that makes a lot of sense. They're focused on winning a gold medal. First time since the women's Olympics was introduced, or women's ice hockey, excuse me, was introduced to the Olympics. So now you have a year for the league to prove that it's sustainable. Is it in the same way that the NWSL did in a broadcast deal? I don't know. Is it bringing on other players like Anya, former players even, to be in leadership? I don't know. But something's got to happen. Something's got to give. And that means that the players that come into the league next year, if everything follows suit, there's a lot that's going to be riding on their shoulders. Just like this season, getting butts in seats making fan interactions, tweeting out Dunkin' Donuts stuff is on the shoulders of the players is what we're looking at for next season minus the star power of Olympians. Yeah, and Kyle, I'll get you in a second because I want your final thoughts on this topic as well. Um, EA, you brought up something, and I just want to touch on it. Media that supports the NWHL, it are a lot of people who love – the NWHL and a lot of people who, who want to see this game and this league and these players su- succeed. Um, but we shouldn't become investigative reporters for every single story that comes out of the league. Um, mm. That's unfair to us. We, we deserve mm. better than that. Um, and if you need the league 
to grow, if you want the league to grow, the media is a big part of that. Um, and when you pick and choose what stories you're going you're gonna to give out to who, to what, um, it, it really impacts how big and how sustainable your league can end up in the future. Um, we, again, we shouldn't have to go digging for these stories that, you know, EA, we found out this was a topic from the summer. Um, and it took the league this long to, to finally come up with the decision. Um, and granted, the players, like you said, the players had a big voice in that. Um, so I hope, and I only wish Anya the best of luck in this position because, you know, she's one of the people, <clears throat> excuse me, that we've seen um, wear it on, on her sleeves that she loves this league, <clears throat> excuse me again, um, that she loves this league and that she wants to see it succeed. So I only, I only, I'm admire, you know, I admire her work. I admire her on her broadcast because she always talks about how, how much this league means to her and the players. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, I, I really hope that that you know the league and the NHL Players Association come together to to make this league as successful as it could be. Yeah, and and I think that's the key. I think that's another huge piece for the NWHL is the communication communication with the players, which we've seen this year has not been 100%. Hopefully Anya can help with that. Uh, communication with the, the media, which has not been as good this year as it was in season one, and communication with the, the fans, which obviously that's how you get the fans to come to your game and, and want to buy the, the jersey or buy the, the ticket to go to go see these players. So the communication needs to, to improve from the NWHL, in my opinion. And EA, any, any final thoughts before we wrap up here with a minute left? I agree. Um, you know, it, it takes multiple pieces and multiple stakeholders, and that's what's going to make the league successful, is getting all of them uh, to feel welcome. Absolutely. Um, all right, so that's, you know, again, we love the league here. We want to see it succeed, but we also think that there needs to be a better, a better, better transparency, not only with the media, but the fans and the players more importantly, because they make this league exactly what it is. So we're hoping for uh, season three success and we're excited for the end of 2017 and the race for the Isabel cup championship. Um, we'll talk more about the CWHL um, next week. And as, of, as, excuse me, as always, you could join us here on my W sports sports Sunday, every Sunday at noon with Luis Sanchez, Kyle Westcott, Eric Ayala. I want to thank everybody for joining us. Uh, you can always follow us on social media at MyWSports or visit our website, MyWSports.com. Again, for all of us here, have a great week and join us next Sunday for MyWSports Sports Sunday.